Who was the first first lady to hold a graduate degree? Ah, good question. And why did one of the inventors of radar regret his work? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. First first lady with a graduate degree. Hmm. Gee, you know, I think first first lady with a college education alone would be an interesting question. But It is, but that's another question. Okay. Is it somebody recently in our last 50 years? Or mm-hmm. was it is? Okay. Mm-hmm. Would mm-hmm. that be Jill Biden? She's uh, a teacher, I know. Yeah, but there was somebody before her. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me let me guess. Would it be Hillary Clinton? She's not the first. Okay. Who was the first? Pat Nixon. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It, so she had a master's? Yeah. She graduated from the University of Southern California, and she went on to become a teacher. I didn't know that. And the other ones to hold graduate degrees following her were Laura Bush. She had a master's in library science from University of Austin, Texas. Okay. Uh-huh. She became a librarian. Hillary Clinton, graduate of Yale Law School and became a lawyer. Michelle Obama, degrees from Princeton and Harvard Law School, and she practiced law after graduation. And finally, Jill Biden. She holds a doctorate degree in education, and she taught higher levels of education after graduation. Wow, she had the highest degree of all there. Yeah. The doctorate Uh in education. Okay, well, that's good. Well, Marcia, how did one of the inventors of radar regret his work? I found this the other day. It was kind of a fun factoid on Britannica.com. Say the beginning again. Why did one of the inventors of radar regret his work? Uh, what made him regret his work? Now, we're not talking about Oppenheimer and worries about, oh, I invented the atomic bomb. Uh, yeah. It's not that. And it wasn't, he didn't uh, worry because of World War II. I don't know. Well, Robert Watson Watt was his name. (laughs) Watson Watt? Watson Watt. And he was one of the English inventors who dramatically improved radar during World War II. After the war, he moved to Canada. And according to Britannica.com, one day he was caught speeding by a police officer (laughs) with a radar Radar, gun. Yes, he lived to see the problem with his invention. When stopped, Watson Watt reportedly told the officer, Radar, (laughs) had I known what you were going to do with it, I would never have invented it. That's very funny. I wonder if he really (laughs) said that to the officer. Well, it said reportedly told the officer, so who knows? But uh, that was definitely the gist of how he was thinking at that point. Like, what the the hell? That's funny. (laughs) Use that against me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's one that'll noodle your brain. Okay. What generation is the last white majority in the United States? I'll give you the four generations that are around now, and you pick. Uh, There's the uh, millennials, Gen Y. They're ages 25 to 40. There's Gen Z, ages 9 to 24, Gen X, 41 to 56, and the boomers, if if you're a boomer, stand up. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> it's not that bad yet. 57 to 75. Those are the ages you're talking about. Yeah. There. So which one of those four generations is the last white majority in the United States? I would say it's the boomers. I would say the boomers are the last white majority oh, in the United States. No. What's the answer? Is it millennials? Yeah. 
Oh. Yeah, 25 to 40-year-olds. They're the last kids. So that's our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're uh, 25 to 40. Well, the world is changing. It certainly is. Okay, Marcia, what alcohol drink? Let's think about alcohol now. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that lilt in your voice when I said that. Okay, dog. Okay, sure. <laughs> okay, what alcohol drink's name means water of life? Water of life. Water of life. This that... goes back to its original Gaelic and Scottish name. That's oh. your hint. <laughs> then it would be like whiskey. That's what it is. <laughs> whiskey, whether it's spelled whiskey with a K-E-Y or a S-K-Y, the word comes from the Irish and Scottish Gaelic, which means water of life. Uh, now, the first time I tasted whiskey, I wouldn't have thought water of life. No, I, remember, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> that wouldn't come right to mind. <laughs> but it's certainly it's, gotten better over the years for us. Yes, <laughs> yes. There's a certain uh, amount of uh, appeal to it. This is uh, curious, Bob. What American group in the 16th century developed sign language? What American a- group in the 16th century? Yeah. Well, that was pretty early. That would be the 1500s. <laughs> had to be the American Indians. Well, that's a good deduction. <laughs> it, but is it who? What tribe would that be? Uh, do you have a tribe for that? Is it? Well, a, I have a group, like it, a Cherokee or somebody yeah, like that. It's a group. The it's Algonquins. A, in the 1520s, dozens of Plain Indian tribes mm. that included Navajo, Cree, and Crow, they created their own sign language. Different parts of the world were starting to develop it, but these guys really worked on it and allowed the different tribes to communicate with each other because none of them spoke the same language. Okay. And they wanted to trade with each other, so they developed all this hand signals. Hmm. And this sign language remains one of the world's oldest and most widespread. The Plains Indians. I had no idea. In 1520. Good Lord. That's a, how, was somebody there to write this down in 1520? That, that, <laughs> they left a little... <laughs> they have a plaque somewhere? They left a little hand sign on a, on a cave wall. I'll admit that I agree that's probably what happened, but how do they know it was 1520? Was oh. there anybody here to look at that, you know? <laughs> I don't know, Bob. Well, here's a word question. What word in the fitness world means to exercise naked? Oh. Naked. Fun. Okay. It's a word school children use every day. Really? We should ban it then. <laughs> if it means naked. Yeah. Oh, golly, you got me there. It is the old Greek word gymnasium. Really? Gymnasium. That means really? Yeah, the word gymnasium can be traced back to the Greek word gymnasin, meaning to exercise naked. Who knew? That's what it means. Don't tell the schools today. Change clothes when you go to the gym. You usually don't get rid of them, but yeah. yes, that's what it meant. Ah. And if you go back even further, the word gymnos, G-Y-M-N-O-S, that means naked. Ancient Greeks would not wear clothes while they were training or competing. As Britannica.com says, the Greeks were basically getting buff in the buff. <laughs> so the word gymnasium means to exercise naked. I like that. Let's go one. to the gym yeah. then. <laughs> Let's go. Oh God, we'll you, go more often. You really want your naughty bits jumping around at the gym? Well, no, I don't think some so. other people have. <laughs> it might be fun to watch. Okay, Marsha, I have another question for you. This is geographical. What state has part of it missing regularly from maps? Oh, that would be the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. That's exactly right. Yeah, that was a big joke up there. Even the U.S. Census Bureau has made that mistake. Yeah, we had a big map of that mistake.
take on the wall in the newsroom. In 2021, the Census Bureau released a map of states losing seats in Congress due to shrinking population, and they omitted the Upper Peninsula. So it not only lost seats, it lost a whole part of its territory. And often it is attached to Wisconsin instead. That's Uh, right. That's the other uh, weirdness of it. Well, and it is physically attached to Wisconsin. I know. So why isn't it part of Wisconsin when geographically it's the very top of our state? I don't know. Didn't the, what the presidents negotiated out with some bargain? No, it was in 1837. There was a land dispute, and Congress settled it. Congress, in its wisdom, <laughs> gave the Upper Peninsula to the new state of Michigan rather than Wisconsin, to which it had been attached. Wisconsin had just become a territory the year before, so there was some political oh, chicanery yeah. there. Yes, but if yes. you look at the map, the oh, landmass, yeah. that yeah. whole thing just juts out from our state of Wisconsin. Yeah, it makes no sense. Let's get it back. <laughs> Come on. But that's a problem a lot of times with the TV maps, weather maps. It doesn't show. Yeah. It doesn't show the Upper yeah. Peninsula. Yeah, It's bizarre. It's Here. the only state that loses almost a third of itself. Yeah, you know? that's not even a third up there. Okay, Bob. Oh, fun. come on. <laughs> What country is covered in 80% mountains? What country is Uh 80% mountains? Nepal. No. No? Uh, Is it it one of those countries in the Himalayas? 80% mountains? Yeah. Where is this country? Japan. Oh, really? Japan is 80. Mm -hmm. 80% mountains. I never would have thought that. I know. That's why I ask. Okay, another one. What color-haired people have a higher pain level tolerance than other people. What color-haired people uh-huh. can have... take more pain? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not white-haired people. That's what I am these days. Uh, <laughs> would it be red-haired people? Yeah. What made you say that? I don't know. They seem fierce. Do they? Well, fierce in battle, fierce in temperament. You know, red-haired people have a reputation for flying off the handle and being angry, and I would assume they can take more pain than the rest of us. Did you ever meet my mother? Well, yeah. <laughs> she seems so nice, though. Yeah, you didn't know her when she had bright red hair. That's true. But anyway, a study conducted by the National Institute of Health showed that red-haired people have a greater tolerance because they perceive pain differently than the rest of us. Hmm. They have certain genetics that scientists believe may help them develop better pain meds in the future. Oh, really? Yeah, they just have a So certain... red-haired people are going to help us with medicine. Yeah. They're so helpful. Aren't they? Those red-haired people. <laughs> okay, Marsha, you may be familiar. This is one of those, why didn't I think of that story? The story of a housewife who was prone to cutting herself. Uh-huh. She inspired her husband to invent something to help. What was it? A Band-Aid. The Band-Aid. Yeah. That's right. The, the inventor was Earl Dixon. He was a cotton buyer for Johnson & Johnson the medical health care firm, and in 1917, he married Josephine Francis Knight. And within a few years, he found himself bandaging the frequent <laughs> cuts or burns she suffered. Some have even suggested she was a bit clumsy. Yeah. That might be, but to help his wife, when he wasn't home, Earl decided to cut up a number of pieces of sterile gauze his company made and place them at intervals on <gasps> surgical tape. To stop the bleeding! So she could cut these things, these pre-prepared wound dressings that she could cut to size when he wasn't around. So he told his bosses about this invention, and they were so impressed, they decided to commercialize it. But sales for Band-Aids weren't very good the first year. Do you know why? They didn't advertise? No, that wasn't it. Why? Probably because the bandages were clumsy themselves. The original sizes were 18 inches wide, two and a half inches long. (laughs) Not too easy to help yourself with those, you know. Uh The company only made $3,000 on the product in the first year. It could easily have given up on them. 
but it soon adopted the standard three inch by three quarters of an inch size, and that's what everybody grew up with. And yeah. That new size plus another innovation, a red thread. Do you remember that? A red thread, which when pulled, easily opened each package. Ah. You could pull that, open it up, and take the bandage out and put it on yourself. Even if you were bleeding, that's you could right. deal with it. How were the Boy Scouts instrumental in Band-Aid's success? Gee whiz, Bob. Um, I, I, I don't know. Did they have a, a, a Boy Scout patch if you could pass the Band-Aid test? test? No. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> it was a marketing idea. Johnson & Johnson decided, let's give these to Boy Scout troops across the country. They gave them a bunch of free bandages. And so then scouts took them out on their campouts, and then when they got hurt, they would, you know, use them. And what did they do before? They just had all kinds of wound dressing like everybody else. But this was like TV dinners. It was automatically a easier thing to do. Uh-huh. So the scouts would come home, and Mom and Dad would look at this, and, boy, it made them very popular. You know, that makes sense. Then the kid comes home with Band-Aids, and then the parents see it for the first time. Right. Uh, it's a good marketing idea. So what happened to the inventor, Earl Dixon? Oh, I don't know. Did he graduate uh, from Johnson Johnson as a VP? And- he was made a VP. He had was a promotion, he? yes. Oh, that's a stab in the dark. That's really good, too. Ning, 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 ning. <laughs> yes, he went from a cotton buyer to a vice president, and he was a vice president when he retired in 1957. Wow. So he had almost 30 years with that company as a vice president. Well, I hope he got a whopping pension. I hope so, too. Well, and here's one more footnote. Twelve years later, his invention made it to the moon with the U.S. astronauts because Band-Aids were part of Apollo 11's first aid kit. And all told, more than 100 billion Band-Aids have been sold. Some interesting stuff. That's from a book uh, called The Great Inventions We Take for Granted. Well, here's an obvious question. Or is it? How did German German chocolate cake get its name? Well, because it's made out of chocolate and it's German. No? What's German? The cake. The cake is German? Yeah. It was a German recipe. Exactly wrong. What? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the recipe comes to us from Dallas, Texas, Bob. What? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and back in 1852, American baker Samuel German developed a type of dark chocolate called Baker's German Sweet Chocolate. And it was named in his honor. And in 1957, a recipe for her German chocolate cake appeared in the Dallas Morning News, created by Mrs. George Clay, a homemaker from Dallas, Texas, whose recipe used the baking chocolate introduced 105 years prior to her recipe. And she named it the German chocolate cake. Oh, no kidding. After the chocolate. I know. I've heard of Baker's chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that was the original German and chocolate I, you cake. Like Ger- I like German chocolate cake, Oh, who cake, doesn't too? like With that? the coconut, right? Isn't that the chocolate and the coconut? I don't know about that. Yeah. It's very tasty. Okay. I think it's time for a break, Bob. I think you're right. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer. Yes, we like to entertain you with colorful features, boomer history, and brain fog. But we also tell you about serious stuff, such as... The amount of money taken in from property taxes continues to rise. The actual percentage allocated to senior centers is declining. We search all week for news boomers need to know and make it available to you on OK Boomer. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. OK Boomer! We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this each week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station. And after that, it goes on podcast platforms throughout the world. 
Marcia, what is your next question today? Okay. Yes, I have a presidential question for Mr. History. Okay, let me see if I can find him, Mr. History. <laughs> Mr. History. Mick History. Hello. Here I am. <laughs> okay. Mr. History, in presidential politics, what do 1841 and 1881 have in common? Well, they're 40 years apart. That's right, but they share a unique distinction in the land of presidential lore. Hmm. Okay, 1841, that might have been the first year we had a president from the interior of the country, you know, crossing the Appalachians and Ah. the Midwest. And then he promptly died. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was our uh, fellow from Indiana. What was his name? Oh, yeah, that was um, Harrison. William Henry Harrison. Yeah. Yeah, he he was only president for a month because he gave a speech in the rain and he died. So that would be the first. That would be 1840. I think that was that election. 1880... That's when the president would have taken office was 1881 from Uh the 1880 election. Uh Would that have been... Was that his grandson? No. Okay. All right. Those two years each had three presidents in one year. Oh, really? Because of a death? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. I think they were assassinations, weren't they? No, no. The first one was exactly what I said. Yeah, the uh, he well, got the cold and he died. And he died, the so one. then his, yeah. his vice president had to take over. 1841 was Martin Van Buren. So then 1881 uh, must have been the assassination of uh, Garfield then. Yeah, because Rutherford B. Hayes brought in the year, Garfield got elected, died, and then Chester A. Arthur took over oh, as vice president. Well, so, I had the right guys. Yeah. One of the right guys, anyway. Just of the, those two years had three presidents in office. Wow. Okay. All right, Marsh, I have a couple fun uh, TV questions, going back to TV when we were growing up. Uh-huh. This is one I haven't ever heard of, and I've read a lot about I Love Lucy, and there have been you know, documentaries and that film that came out a year or so ago about I Love Lucy. A city ordinance almost prevented the filming of the first I Love Lucy episode in the early 1950s. Did you know that? What was that? A city ordinance almost prevented the filming of the first I Love Lucy episode in Los Angeles. I can't think what that would be. It would be an ordinance requiring a restroom for men and And for women, one of each. In a studio where an audience would be watching filming. Well, what did they have before? Well, they had a TV studio with just a restroom. Oh, it's for both. Yeah, for anybody. Yeah. Then they brought in the audience to watch this. Yeah. And at the last minute, just before Yow. they were shooting this, a Los Angeles city inspector told Desi Arnaz, you can't go on because there's no women's restroom here. Oh. Well, we have a restroom over there. No, no. A unisex restroom over there. No. No, they can't do that. So what happened? How did they fix that? Well, you got me that somebody ran out and got a porta pot for the men. What? No, what did this they is, do? This is great. Lucille Ball offered the restroom in her dressing room for the women in the audience that first night of shooting. Oh, that's excellent. Isn't that interesting? Yes. That well. comes from the story of I Love Lucy by Bart Andrews, a book that I read years ago and I just found the notes for it. I had never heard of that story. Yeah, me either. But they you know, this was a TV studio where they never brought an audience in before in Los Angeles. Okay. Wow. All right, quickly, Bob. What's the longest highway in America? The longest highway in America is the, uh, let's see, what's the name of it? The Pan-American Highway. It goes from Canada all the way to the bottom of uh, the South American continent. Yeah, uh, no, in America, this is a... Oh, you must mean the United States. Okay, it's Highway 80, I think it's, I-80, Interstate 80. No. East to West. No. Interstate 90. No. 
Interstate 20. Yes. Okay. I, it's not Interstate 20. It's Highway 20. It's U.S. Highway, highway 20. Correct. It's Highway 20. It's 3,365 miles long. Jeez. And it runs through 12 states. It runs from Boston, Massachusetts to Astoria, Oregon. I knew it was one of those. I thought it was the freeways, but it wasn't. So, yeah, those are all horizontal east to west highways. I thought Route 66 was going to be the longest, but not at all. No, because it only started in like St. Louis and then, or Chicago, started in Chicago and went to Los Angeles. These go from coast to coast. Yeah, yeah. How many miles again? 3,365. 3,365 miles of paved highway. Now, that's a marvel when you think about it, even today. Yeah. I mean, a lot of countries don't yeah. have good highway systems. We have like three there that we can mention that go coast to coast that way. Yeah, yeah. So if your boss says, go out and fix the potholes on 20, Harvey, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have a gift for you, Bob. Okay. In Sesame Street. Yes. Who were good buddies Bert and Ernie named after? They were named after the uh, two of the characters in It's a Wonderful Life, one was a cab driver, and who was the other guy? They were both friends of uh, J- Jimmy Store. <laughs> his buddies. Uh, it's it's a double he, gift. For he you. needed their help, <laughs> and he'd say, "Bart, Ernie," and yeah, they actually yeah. called their names. Ernie was the cab driver, and what did Bert do? Oh, he was the cop. Yeah, that's right. And that was Ward Bond, I believe, yes. who played er- that. Ernie was the cab driver with the heart of gold. Everybody in that movie had a heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of our all-time favorites. Oh, we love that, don't we? Yeah, own it, love it, watch it. Getting back to that uh, thing, I just found another note on that where they did the first I Love Lucy uh-huh. episode. That was called the Desilu Playhouse. They, that's what they yeah. named that studio. And it was also where Shirley Temple did her first film in 1931. It was originally called Stage 2 when General Service Studios built it for silent films in the 1920s. And I Love Lucy renovated it by putting $25,000 to put in a sprinkler system for safety of the live audience, but they forgot to put an extra restroom in. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. All right. How long, Bob? How long does it take solid food to travel from your mouth to your stomach? Dun, 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 what? Dun, How long does it take solid food to travel from your mouth to, to your, your stomach? stomach. Okay, okay, okay. It drops down through gravity. It goes down. Wait, wait, wait. Going down. Okay, I'll say about 30 seconds. No, I'll say 15 seconds. Halfway. Seven. Seven seconds. And it goes through the pyloric valve and everything else to get down there. You want to name where it goes It's the pyloric valve, yeah. And what else? It just gets to the stomach. What's your next question? My next question is not about that. Okay. This man's real name was Harold J. Smith. He Uh was a TV star. Uncle Harry. He made a name for himself. He was a Canadian. He was a lacrosse player and an amateur boxer before he did films and TV. But you would never think that was his real name. He was one half of a very popular Western duo on television. We're going all the way back to the 1950s. Who was Harold J. Smith? Was it the Lone Ranger? No, it wasn't the Lone Ranger. It was Tonto. Oh, no. He, yeah, Jay Silverheels. But he, yeah, he was a. Th- that's how he was known Indian. professionally. Yes, Jay Silverheels, he was known professionally. He was born on the Six Nation Indian Reservation to a Mohawk chief in 1919, but his real name, his legal name, was not 
an Indian name. It was oh. Harold J. Smith. Well, I'll be darned. He adopted the name of Silverheels later in life. Well, which is a cool name. Yeah. Much better than Smith. No, Smith is a great name. <laughs> There's nothing wrong well, with Smith. I, I'd love to be Mrs. Silverheels. <laughs> it would be more interesting, that's for sure. It sure And is. Bob Silverheels <laughs> does have a certain ring to it. Why don't we just adopt that? We go to yeah. court and do who, that, who you know? Knows? Yeah, who would our, care? Our kids would be upset. <laughs> Silverheels, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> Bob, what zodiac sign has the fewest babies born in it? The zodiac sign with the fewest babies born in it. Yeah, you don't really probably know your zodiac. No, I don't. So just give me a month, you think, where the fewest people are born. I'll say Pisces. That's not a month, but that's a name of a sign, I'll say. That's me. I know. That's when fewer babies are born than any other time of the year. Oh, So that's why you're so rare, honey. Such a rare. Oh, good recovery, babe. Okay, there. (laughs) Now, it's Aquarius is the most uncommon zodiac sign. Really? And that's people born between January 20 and February 18th. That's the fewest people born in that period. I wonder why that is. Because people are busy doing other things then than having babies. Well, yeah, (laughs) but nine months before that is when they're busy or not busy. I know, and it's hot summer, so, you know, they're not getting down to business. The most common birth dates, now here you go, are between September 9th through the 20th. And that's one of our kids right there. Yeah, that's right. And the rarest birthdays are 1225, 1224, January 1 and the 4th of July. Well, thank God, because those would be terrible times to be born anyway. Yes. You know, happy birthday and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the rarest birthdays are those four holidays, which I find curious because I just guess moms felt like doing other things on those days (laughs) and they didn't focus on the job at hand. Again, we're talking nine months before that date. Yeah. Okay. But uh, still, they're very rare. Another city question here for okay. you. Okay. What state has a city totally surrounded by another state? I never heard of this, and I don't expect you to get the answer. All right. But then. you can uh, give me some suggestions where you think it might be. What state has a city totally surrounded by another state? Washington, D.C. No, that's not a state, Marcia. It's a city. It's a city surrounded by other states, yes. Yeah. This is a state that has a city totally surrounded by another state. It's an anomaly. Uh, tell me. That just okay. doesn't make sense It's me. the city of Carter Lake, Iowa. Oh, I which is knew surrounded, that. Yeah, <laughs> I told you you wouldn't know this. Carter Lake, Iowa is surrounded by Nebraska. You want to know how that is? Sure. It's the only city that's located west of the Missouri River, and it's bordered on three sides by Nebraska and on one side by the Missouri River. So how did that come about? The irregular border is the result of an 1877 flood that changed the course of the Missouri River, causing an oxbow. That's the horseshoe-shaped bend Uh that makes that totally surrounded by Nebraska. Well, who knew? Iowa and Nebraska got into a heated battle about who should own that space, and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled it part of Iowa in 1892. However, Carter Lake didn't become its own town until 1930 after it seceded from Council Bluffs, Iowa. I see. So the, <laughs> so the Supreme Court awarded it to Iowa, I see. even though it's surrounded by Nebraska. I'm sure everybody in that area of the country knows, knows about that. that. Yeah, but, but you don't, and you make fun of it. No, I wasn't making oh, fun. Oh, yes, you were, Marsh. I have totally. You were making fun of our Nebraska friends and their friends no, in Iowa. I we even lived in Iowa, and I can't believe you treat our I, Iowa friends I that way. I am not. Not. I do not do that. 
I make fun of people on the coasts, but not in the middle <laughs> of the country. Okay. All right. I couldn't decide between these three quotes, so I'm going to use all three of them real quick. It's oh, as our thoughts for the day. It's correct. It's about money, Bob. Okay. This is Will Rogers. Too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good old Will Rogers. That's, uh, that, that, that wisdom just is uh, lives on as true, doesn't it? It's yep. always true. Yeah, this is Epitheus. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah, me too. You and are a wealthy person if you don't really need anything. We're going out with my favorite from Malcolm Forbes. Did we meet him? Met one of his sons. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he said, I made my money the old-fashioned way. I was very nice to a wealthy relative right before he died. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear God. Okay, well, that's blatantly honest there. Well, let's be honest with you. We hope you come back and uh, join us again next week when we do more of this kind of fun stuff. Fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.